You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn every single Tuesday morning right here on Westwood One, anywhere you enjoy podcasts. And of course, the man of the hour, the Hall of Famer himself, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer, double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Doing great. Doing great. My favorite part of the week. Well, I'm glad to hear that. But uh, man, you had a heck of a run. You've been uh, on the road again. Last week you went to New York, and we've talked about when you went to New York back in '88. But here you are making New York shots in 2019. How'd your How'd your trip to the big event go? Uh, it was It was awesome. Had a lot of nice folks come down and uh, really say they enjoyed the podcast, which made my day. Got to hear some stories and meet a lot of nice folks uh it was a great weekend it was and you've got another great weekend coming this weekend i think you're in louisville is that right galaxy con is that ring a bell absolutely sir and i'm going to be there all weekend i'm going to be there friday saturday and the first part of sunday so it'd be awesome if if you know if you're driving distance or however you can get there come down say hello look forward to visiting with everybody it's going to be a really nice weekend it's happening this weekend, Friday, November 22nd through Sunday, November 24th at the Kentucky International Convention Center right there in Louisville, Kentucky. If you want to throw it in your Google machine or make plans to join them, just look up Louisville Galaxy Con and uh, go out and see our friend uh, Aaron Anderson live and in color. And we should mention, we've got our first live show coming up the week after that. You and I will be in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, tickets are on sale now at arnshowlive.com. That's www.arnshowlive.com. And this will be your chance to pick the brain of the enforcer. And here's some stories maybe we can't tell on the podcast. Uh, we got really good feedback, or at least I did on my end. Uh, what kind of feedback did you get from last week's episode? Well, we covered something a little more recent Survivor Series 2014 with the, the debut of Sting. A lot of people loved uh, hearing that story as well and getting a different view of it. Uh, Sting was a big star, and he is a big star in the industry. And it was, uh, you know, it was a big time him moving over to WWE from uh, the old days when nobody thought they would ever see him again. So I think a lot of people enjoyed it. I think they did too. And let me tell you, you're up for, uh, you're in for a treat if you were appreciative of the new stuff. We don't usually do a lot of new stuff here. Uh, on my podcast, but Arn was there for all of the new stuff. So we do have some old school coming your way. We'll, we'll touch on some super brawl, uh, from 1992. We'll touch on the television title. We're going to talk about Starcade 85. We're going to talk about survivor series 88, but the really new stuff that I think is going to intrigue a lot of people, Royal rumble 2015 
when Roman Reigns won and Daniel Bryan did not in Philadelphia and how that went over. And of course the elimination chamber last year, Kofi Kingston now made man so much to unpack here on the future episodes of Arn. stay tuned, hit the subscribe button, tell a friend, and don't forget every other week we're doing everybody's favorite hashtag ask Arn anything. And I guess we should go ahead and start right at the top last week, uh, to your surprise and mind. Daniel Tosh finally responded to our podcast. I think it was our first or second ask Arn anything. And, uh, he responded by doing his own podcast that he nicknamed the Arn sucks podcast. what do you think about that? <laughs> well, I, I looked over that. If you looked at the background during that piece, there was some, some stuff. I don't even know where he found it. Posters and pictures and things of that nature. A lot of thought went into this. So he's been thinking about this for a long time. And, uh, I didn't give him much thought in the past. I mean, let's face it. If you followed my career, somebody saying you suck was a regular thing. It was a daily thing. So the fact that he was a comedian and had his own television show, just put a little bit more luster on it. Well, you couldn't help but respond. If you'd like to see Arn's response, it's easy. Go check it out at the Arn show on Twitter. And, um, I don't think you're done yet. I, I believe that our friends, Dave Silva and Chris McDonald have come up with some other things. Um, I think Mr. Tosh may have bitten off more than he can chew here. Well, the beauty of this is he's not, you know, I'm not in any hurry or maybe I am to go see Daniel. So, you know, walking in his back door and maybe walking out there on stage when he's doing his shtick could come sooner or could come later. The fun part is he cast the first stone. Now he's got to wait on the receipt. And he's not going to know when it's coming. So sleep well, Daniel. Oof. Well, not want to be Mr. Tosh today. Now let's get to our questions this week on hashtag ask Arn anything. If you want to participate next time, be sure to follow us at the Arn show on Twitter. That's where you'll be able to keep up with what's coming and going. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about that really got my attention on Twitter is something I've always wondered about. This one comes from big Edna. And, uh, Edna writes, one of the most innovative moments in WCW in the early nineties was the introduction of the compact referee cam. It was basically the world's first GoPro, at least in pro wrestling. Why did they get rid of this technology that was way ahead of its time? God, that was just around for a minute. Wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was there for just like a show or two and then it was done. And I've always assumed that maybe the reason it was done away with is because <laughs> Well, then you would sort of expose what the referee really saw that he supposedly didn't see. Who was, who, where were the cameras positioned? They were on the referee's head. He was wearing like a helmet, if you remember. And they called it like, instead of referee, they just added a Y between those last two E's and referee and called it R E F E R dash I E Y E. So referee. That idea is so rotten. <laughs> and I'm hoping to God that the reason I don't remember it is not because I saw it and just melted down. I'm hoping I wasn't at TV that week because I don't recall that. I can tell you this. That's terrible. Yeah, they did. Uh, I don't know if you remember. We, Of course you do. The horrific 
chamber of horrors match where you guys electrocuted Abdullah, the butcher in the opening match on the show. I think that camera was there. It was a few other times like that, but it was just one of those. Oh, this is probably not a good idea. Yeah. And that would be 100% correct. Some stuff you want to be a fly on the wall for some stuff you do not. And that would be one of them. Mr. Jones writes in the backstage hierarchy is fascinating to me. Who was in charge of the agents when you worked as one in the WWE? So did, who was your sort of one-up supervisor? Uh, that'd be John Laurinaitis. He, uh, he was not only head of talent relations when he stepped down from that position. Um, he was like the senior producer and, uh, in charge of all the other producers. Um, and that was pretty much the hierarchy for the entire time that I was there. Kevin Huntsberger writes in who came up with the name, the brain busters and were other names discussed. And if so, did you and Tully have any say? Well, they asked, and to be honest with you, I remember very clearly, I couldn't come up with anything that fit. I mean, when let's just face it, the four horsemen thing got over and it stuck and to think in terms of anything else, I just couldn't come up with anything and totally couldn't come up with anything either. And I think the idea that they were going to put Bobby, the brain Heenan with us, there was a tie in to Bobby that immediately gave us, um, some luster walking in the door, being part of that group because you had Haku and you had Andre the giant with that group, you know, that that was top shelf. And, uh, the fact that they didn't come up with something really goofy and cartoonish, we were just thankful for that. And it, you know, whether you like the name or not, I never thought about it. I think everybody that looked at us, looked at us as the horseman and that never went away. Doug has a follow-up question about Bobby Heenan. What was it like working with Bobby Heenan? Do you have any good brain stories you can share? Well, he's just, I mean, anything, every day around Bobby was, was a story. I mean, you could say, Hey, Bobby, it's raining outside. And before you could get outside of your mouth, he had a joke. He is the sharpest, quick wittedest man I have ever been around in my life. It's amazing. And, and funny, my God, uh, Bobby was just one of those guys that enjoyed the business. He was old school. He loved what he did for a living. Hilarious to be around. And, uh, like I said, he's the funniest guy I've ever met. Uh, the bodacious writes in, we've heard over the years that the undertaker is a badass in real life and a locker room leader. What was your experience working with the dead man? Like on your run in for WrestleMania 18? Well, it's one of those moments that pops up, you know, I get asked about that, you know, at every signing, just about there are certain topics. Tasho's one of them. Where's Ole is another one. And I, most people are very positive and say, God, I love that when you just came out of nowhere and spine bustered the Undertaker. Undertaker has earned his respect in this business. He's always been a top shelf performer, businessman, locker room leader, all of those things. And uh, he leads by example. Nobody works harder. Nobody spends more time thinking about what they're going to do before they go to the ring. Uh, unselfish when it's called for. 
um, he's the all around cowboy. He's a, he's a pro top to top to bottom. And, uh, the, the few times that I got to work with him as a producer, we had a great rapport and, uh, figured out what was best for that day. And he's got nothing but my respect. Dean Martin wants to know, in your opinion, would Larry Zabisco have made a good horseman? Is this the real Dean Martin? No, it's not the real Dean Martin. Ah, shit. Uh, no. Larry, who is another character, if you know Larry, what you see is what you get. Larry was very fond of stalling. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh... They would chant, stall, Larry, stall, which would cause Larry to stall even more. And uh, I'm in here trying to have a match when we were partners. And then they would start into the, Larry sucks, Larry sucks. And and I would say, are you going to get in here and do anything? And Larry would go, but aren't don't you hear them? They're chanting, Larry sucks. I said, Larry, they mean it. You can take it from there. The horsemen were all about giving, 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 making guys, bumping your ass off. That was not Larry's forte. Great in his own world. Great as a single. I enjoyed being partners with him. He would not have made a good horseman. Let's talk about another horseman partner. Uh, Ray writes in, would Arn have liked to have had the opportunity to do a breakup and rivalry angle with Tully Blanchard? And if yes, who would have been the heel and who would have been the baby face? Um, no, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. I don't think any of us was, it wasn't broke. There was never a point that, you know, just like I, one of my favorite moments was not wrestling Rick. It would not have been wrestling Tully either, but should that have happened, make no mistake, Tully would have been the baby face and I would have been the heel just because I don't have any baby face skills, as we've discussed before. No, no drop kicks, no head scissors, no flops off the top, no flips off the top. Tully is a lot more versatile uh, in his repertoire. He is a lot more skilled offensively as far as flashy stuff and going up top and coming off the top or whatever it may be. So unless, the, to be honest with you, let, let me back up for just a minute unless the audience saw it the other way and we would immediately flip flop it and go whichever way the audience chose for us to go. It's really hard to imagine Tully Blanchard as a good guy. You know, it's in my, my brief time as a wrestling promoter, quote unquote, with Starcast. I don't think I had anybody pegged more wrong than him. You know, he played such an asshole on TV that you sort of expect a little bit of that in real life. He's the nicest guy in the world, but I could still see how he could just very easily flip it on go into daddy mode and he gives you that look and, uh, he's a heel man through and through. Well, you know what? I like, like I said, back it up for just a second, you know, yes, for sure. He is. And, and maybe they would have taken it the other way. Like, cause Tully could turn it on back then. He, he got a lot of heat, you know, Rick had his fans and we always had them every night cheering for him. And then they would boo us. And then as it each year passed by, I started to gain some fans for God knows whatever reason. Probably they were just felt bad that I was getting beat every night. They just wanted to see me win one at any cost. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, Tully was a, was a hell of a heel. And, you know, 
today he still can think in those terms very well. He's going to do well with uh, Sean Spears. Mr. Jones writes in, all right, let's get to it. You've worked side by side with the nature boy and behind the scenes with the heartbreak kid In your opinion, who's the better wrestler? Oh, that's impossible to say because they're different. They're each incredible in their own right. Shawn Michaels is the consummate to me is the consummate baby face talking about a guy that does have baby face skills. Nobody sells better. Uh, nobody can tell a story better in the ring, uh, his ability to make it and come back that you believe in credible Rick consummate heel. Even though he gets cheered, Rick is still a heel. Rick will always be a heel. He's just one of those guys that you love to hate. And, uh, there's no way to, to say one is better than the other. Lone Lee writes in any Ming or Haku stories you can share. One night we were all, uh, eating late. And then, uh, it was like a, uh, somewhere like in Tulsa, Oklahoma or somewhere like that, somewhere out in Oklahoma, Oklahoma city, late, late night bar and grill. We're in there eating. And, uh, this guy, uh, kept looking at Ming and it, for whatever reason, over the years, you're going to have people that will tell you stories, but so for some reason, guys would get whiskeyed up and they would run right over me to go insult Ming. And I've seen them do it to a lot of the guys, just blow right by another guy to mess with the one guy on the planet you don't want to mess with. So anyway, this, this guy's about 6'5", he's about 270, raw bone cowboy. He just, you know, he kept looking at Ming and he kept saying stuff under his breath and pretty soon Ming picked up on it. The guy kept on and uh, Ming just got up and started right for him. Well, the guy happened to be sitting where his back was almost to the first door that led into the men's bathroom. And uh, the goozle, which was Ming's finish, where he just grabbed a guy by the throat and squeezed, and a guy went out pretty much. It put him right out. was a legitimate deal. He grabbed this guy by the throat. Now, like I said, 6'5", 270 is my estimate, and raw bone. He grabbed this guy one-handed by the throat. The guy went about a foot and a half off, off the ground, hit that door, flat-backed, main rode him down, and by the time the guy hit the ground, he was out cold. He's Ming is still squeezing. Nick Bockwinkle, of all people, got there first and was trying to pull Ming off by the hair. He wasn't budging. It took two or three of us to talk him down to let this guy go. And uh, it was like a scene out of a cowboy movie, Blazing Saddles or something, but it was 100% legitimate. One-armed this guy. And, uh, buddy, I saw that, and that's all I ever needed to see. If, if he chose to be... Ming would be the world champion right now, and he would have no contenders, period. I love that. If he chose to be. 
Uh, Dustin writes in, would you entertain the idea of being a consistent on-air talent again? Perhaps you could be a matchmaker, a GM, a commissioner, or even a manager. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's, uh, it sure has been fun so far. My, my time with AEW has been really fun. I enjoy being around all these young go-getters and, uh, the different philosophy of the company in general. And, you know, just, you know, it sounds egotistical, but I'll just tell the truth here. When you to go through that curtain and get a reaction, like I've been so fortunate to get so far, man, it's rewarding. It makes you feel good. It reminds you why you do this. And, uh, it's, uh, it's really been an awesome experience. And, uh, if the right situation came up, yeah, I would entertain that for sure. I love that. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Uh, red wants to know 40 days straight on the road. How hard was the 88 great American bash tour? Oh my God. I want to say we had like 20 something bashes of those 40 days or not bash, excuse me, uh, war games, 20 something war games of those 40 days. And, uh, buddy, if you ever saw war games, either live or on tape, it was about 35 to 40 minutes of nonstop, just beating the hell out of each other. Uh, there's no break in the action. It is just continual, feeding guys in every every few minutes and just it's like one long continual fist fight and uh we like to bled to death that summer be honest with you all of us um it was uh, a hell of a grind as far as the travel um we were at outdoor stadiums for a lot of it and the crowds were just incredible but it was summertime, you know, we were down in Miami and some different places where it was major, major hot, not a lot of air blowing in that stadium. And, uh, those war games were, were just brutal. Now, was it rewarding in every way? Absolutely. Absolutely was. It was one of those special summers that will never, ever be again. And we knew that at the time. And even though we're all beat up and, uh, the guys on the other side of the ball were beat up too. And, you know, it was just one of those that we realized this is a special time and it'll never come again and it won't. So it was a, it was an awesome experience, something I'll never forget, but man, it took its toll on us. I can't wait for us to do a full episode on that sometime. Uh, but Jason has a great follow-up to your war games mention. He says, what was your favorite war games match you were in? Number one, yeah, it's like, it's like anything else. The first is usually the best, especially when you have all the parts that we had and, uh, we didn't know what we were looking at to begin with. It's hard to envision the reaction you're going to get each time a guy feeds in the ring. Um, you can plan for it, but you don't know what you're going to get. And, uh, it was just a series of, of five baby faces kicking the shit out of five heels. If you go back and look at it, that's pretty much the way it laid out and getting the reaction for those guys. Every time they came in that door, 
you were doing your job and doing it well. And the audience uh, learned to expect that, and we gave it to them, and uh, it's very rewarding. Interesting question here, one I can't imagine you and I would ever discuss. Alex Prentice writes in, what did Arn think of the Punjabi prison match? Well, Alex, I was fortunate to walk around out there and put my hands on that Punjabi prison. Just like the old blue cage was unforgiving, that Punjabi prison was absolutely brutal. There wasn't a soft place anywhere. And uh, the fact that you were going to be locked in there with Kali who at best was green as go shit. Big, strong, uh, pretty much during the course of a match, if he decided he just wanted to take over, he just took over. Wasn't much you could do about it. And uh, being locked in that cage, it was not a uh, pleasant situation for the opponent. And... uh, I'm just glad it wasn't me. Joe Lawson writes in, can you explain why the bunkhouse stampede in 88 was in a cage? Seems like a cool idea on paper. And then the bell rang. Yeah, I think it was, those were better served without a cage. Um, back in those days, uh, the fans knew 100%. If you saw cage match, advertised somebody was going to get busted open. That was the selling point. But I think in a, in a bunkhouse stampede, you were going to get that anyway. And I think the audience was educated to that. So you really didn't need it. Anytime you took guys and, and you put them in a cage, you kind of, especially in that scenario where you want to get out and get up close with the fans and, because you're hitting each other with every piece of movable furniture in the building. You want to get as close as you can to the fans without putting them in danger, but letting them get a good feel of the fight that's going on. When you put guys in a cage, you kind of inhibit their ability to, to be creative. And, uh, you're kind of limited on what you can do inside a cage. Um, I would have preferred it to have been without a cage. Let's do another one here. This one comes to us, uh, from, one three one four. He writes in. Did Arn ever watch any of the Flair Steamboat matches in '89 when he was in the WWF? And if so, did he give Flair a call? I never did get to see him. I heard about him. I could imagine what they were going to be like. Um, Ricky is the ultimate babyface. You're talking about selling and fighting back. Nobody was better, and there probably never will be anybody any better. Um, just because he's that special. Uh, I can imagine they beat the piss out of each other. And uh, it's one of those times when uh, Ricky was probably chopping Rick as hard as Rick was chopping Ricky. So would love to have seen it live, um, but I never did. But I heard the stories and pretty much just listening to them talk about it, I could envision it in my mind. Martin writes in, is there someone in WWE whose job it is to listen to podcasts and report what they hear to the higher ups? Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure really? every piece of news, every podcast, uh, anything that's said on any radio show, television show, 
somebody you can bet is listening to it and reporting back. I just don't know who those people are. The man of the nineties writes in Arn almost always wore glasses during his promos Did he wear contacts when he wrestled. No, I never could. Uh, I never could because I figured if, if, uh, contacts were going to get knocked out as much as I was getting banged around, they were going to get knocked out of my eyes. I was just going to end up losing them anyway. Um, and my ability to see was about first row of ringside. Past that, everything was a blur. Um, <laughs> my grandmother, bless her heart, never saw me wrestle. And uh, after I first got started, and was kind of telling her about it. And she said, well, son, do you wrestle with your glasses on? <laughs> I said, no, Granny, but I probably would do a lot better if I did. Um, so uh, my ability to see you know, sometimes was limited to wrestling off a of body heat. Just grab something warm. <laughs> grab something <laughs> warm. Taylor writes in, even though it's current, what does Arn think of Charlotte, Sasha, Becky, and Bailey referring to themselves as the four horse women? Well, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, flattered. The girls thought enough of us to name themselves that, and they've certainly uh, proven their worth in the business and in the industry, and they just continue to get more and more over as each month that passes. The girls have done an incredible job. Uh, I personally, for one, am very flattered. There were also the MMA girls with Rhonda and her crew that named themselves the same thing. So... 25 years later, however long it's been, if they're not only still talking about you, they're naming themselves after you, you did something right. So I can speak for me. I'm, I'm incredibly flattered. Uh, the Adnan's reaction writes in, was there ever a time someone got Arn to laugh or break character on live TV? And of all the boys who made Arn laugh the most? That would probably be, oh gosh. Well, like I said, Bobby Heenan, hilarious. Backstage, Brad Armstrong, hilarious. Um, wish he could have brought that to a microphone and a, with the red light on. It's Brad Armstrong was funny. Um, a lot of funny guys. Steve Austin's a funny guy backstage. Um, those come to mind more than anybody i never did crack up in the ring because i tried to be serious all the time and uh i'm sure there were occasions when something would happen oh yeah yeah one night tully and i i think we were in greensboro and um we're wrestling the rock and roll express and those guys came out the door and there really wasn't uh a whole lot of uh room to come down the aisle in those days, you just had a rope, maybe a single rope that was six far to, six feet apart, uh, which started out to be an entrance way. But when those guys came out, the little girls and the kids just collapsed those two ropes together. They wanted to touch these guys. Uh, so the Rock and Roll Express were making their way down, and you could see they were having to fight. And it was late in the night, and I want to say it was summertime, and there was um, – 
a lot of condensation on the floor. So just about as they broke free, maybe five, six, eight feet from the ring, Robert Gibson broke free from whoever was hanging around his neck and just made a quick surge like to get to the ring finally. And he must have hit some slick surface because he just disappeared underneath the ring. He slid underneath the ring completely out of sight. And we, we did bust out laughing on that deal. Once, once he came crawling out and we saw that he was okay, uh, we got to enjoy the moment, but that was, that was one time where I couldn't hold it in. All right, Arn, let's run a timeout right now and tell everybody how they can save some money. Of course, we're talking about savewithconrad.com. And by the way, I'm licensed in more than 40 states, so I can probably help you get a lower monthly payment, get rid of your credit card debt, and even skip your next two house payments. And let me tell you this, if you're still in a 30-year loan, what are you waiting for? There's never been a cheaper, more affordable time to take your loan and cut it in half than right now. We are routinely helping my podcast listeners take their 30-year loan and pay it off in roughly half the time with almost the exact same house payment. Why wouldn't you do this? Take advantage of these rates while we've still got them. And oh, by the way, let's knock out all your credit card debt. It's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And we want to show you how to keep more of your own money. The average interest rate on a credit card right now is over 19%. You're getting a fraction of that when you refinance it into a brand new mortgage. And of course, I'm not going to encourage you to start all over with a 30-year loan. No, man, let's take some of that monthly payment savings. Let's dump it towards the principal. Let's get out of debt faster. If you've got debt, it's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much. Find out right now for free at savewithconrad.com. That's savewithconrad.com. It's no cost, no obligation. And if I can't help you save some cash, I won't waste your time. But let me tell you this. You do not need perfect credit. Even credit scores in the 500s will qualify. I can't stress this enough. I can save you money. Find out how much right now for free. Savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084. Equal housing lender. Joseph writes in, why has Zack Ryder never been pushed as high as he should have been when you hear WWE say the talent has to get over with the fans? In my opinion, he was the first guy in the modern era to get himself over it without the corporate machine behind him. 100% correct. I agree 100%. Because he was always on time, he looked like a, a million dollars. Great businessman. Uh, looked the part good performer, did all the things right, had his own podcast, I think, right? Before it was, uh, yeah, he's done the, everything. Yeah. I mean, he, but, he had a YouTube show and I mean, he was an innovator all, in a big way. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you there. He did everything right. And in this business, sometimes the better employee you are, when you always say yes, 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 you never say no, you do all the right things. You're always on time. You're a good businessman. You never get a crumb. And he's the guy, one of those guys. Got nothing but a ton of time for that guy. He's he's a dream employee. Now, he got to the point, and I can't remember what the title was or anything, but he won a big battle royal that was for something pretty big. And I can't remember if it was a title or something. But the, on the very last move, he blew his knee out, for God's sakes. Went over the top, tore up his knee, 
was out six months. He was going to finally get his due. And I can't remember it what it was. Title. It was the tag title, I think. The winner of that would have got won the champ, the tag titles or something. I think so. Yeah. I mean, he, he did win the U S championship a long time ago. And then a few years ago at WrestleMania won the ladder match for the IC. But I think what you're referencing is a knee injury where he was about to be tag champs. Maybe just had been, I don't know, but I remember that it's been the last two or three years where you're talking about. It was like a battle Royal of some sort. Right. I want to say, yeah, that he won and there was a good prize and he was finally going to get his due, but as luck would have it, he got hurt. And, uh, when he came back flatline, nothing, uh, that's kind of the way it is with a lot of guys in our business. There's a saying we have squeaky wheel gets the grease and it applies. Let me ask, do you think that has more to do with there being a tremendous writing staff? I mean, tremendous in number, or is it just Vince isn't sold on Zack Ryder as a, as a featured guy? That would probably be it. And so once, once one inkling comes out, oh, that guy's not going to draw any money. Writing staff turns off on it. They turn a deaf ear to it. They're not going to buck that and fight that power. And, uh, they're just, you know, they're just trying to survive and, uh, do their job as best they can. I mean, what, what can a guy like Zach Ryder do? Like if you were, if you were coaching up Zach today about what he could do to make himself stand out and maybe change the perception with the chairman, what would it be? I don't think you can at this point. I would say, uh, keep making the house shows, keep just uh, doing your job, stay invisible and keep getting paid. There you go. Will Tyner writes in, I loved your promo you did on Sheamus during a Raw in 2010 when you compared Nexus to the NWO. Do you, th- do you think WWE dropped the ball on the Nexus angle? To me, it seemed like it could have been so much more. Could have been longer for sure. All those rookies. I mean, the story was very easy to digest. There were a bunch of young beasts. I mean, you look at those guys who, you know, that were all in that, that group. And there was what, seven or eight of them. So the story was they would function like a single person. If you saw one, you saw them all. And it could have definitely, most definitely lasted a lot longer. You could have got a lot more heat on those guys, uh, before you, you cooled it off, which is, which is an issue all the time of things, running their full course or getting cut off too, you know, too soon. A lot of, a lot of guys, you know, it's like you get to a certain point of getting over and then it just goes away. Everything pro wrestling writes in, what were your thoughts on CM Punk during his time with the WWE? Did he deserve a better run that he got with the WWE title? Well, I think he had a pretty good run. Um, Myself, um, if you look at everyone and every piece of talent in its entirety and who was pushed properly and who was able to do what on television and who made money and what was the length of their tenure as champion, who did they beat to become champion, what were the circumstances when they were no longer champion, I think he had a, a pretty fair run. I know he was able to talk him into uh, trusting him to do the pipe bomb promos and uh, 
those are the things that people seem to remember and what really got them over. You know, there's nothing like being able to to uh, look at your boss and, uh, you know, tell him to F off. And that's what got Austin over and made him special. He was the first one to ever do it. And boy, did he do it with authority. And it was like everybody that had a boss that they hated got in Austin's hip pocket. And then the fact that he was a tremendous performer, tremendous businessman, he had all the tools, he could really go bell to bell, he could talk, he looked great, he had everything. It opened the door for later down the road, Punk kind of did the same thing with the authority. And you don't have that happening very, very often. It was a rare time in the business. And uh, it has sustained him as far as the wrestling fans' eyes to this day. Were you surprised to see him pop up on the new FS1 show last week? Yeah. um, In that fashion, I would thought... Just because I was groomed one way in the business, you know, if you don't, if we don't make it big, it's not big. To walk him out is a surprise on a show that's not over yet and doesn't have a following yet. It's probably not like advertising him for three weeks, coming, 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 and let everybody on the planet know that he's coming. Seems like to me the more logical way to reintroduce him to the business. I had uh, a friend of ours who I, I won't say their name cause they probably don't want me to attribute the quote to them. But when it happened last week, the next day they texted me and said, uh, not for nothing, but your Starcast announcement CM Punk got more buzz than the WWE bringing him back. And I don't know that I agree with that, but the idea that it was even mentioned that way tells me they did something, something there was a miss because it should have been the biggest possible thing that anybody talked about last week. And it just felt like, Oh, did you see this? It didn't feel as monumental as maybe it could have been, but maybe it's because it wasn't on raw or SmackDown. You got to think if he ever pops up on one of those shows, uh, people are just going to fucking melt down. Well, but you only, you know, you only get a, a first chance to make that kind of impression. Right. Don't, don't you? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, now it's already out of the bag and the speculation is, is when he's going to show up, he's probably going to wrestle. So-and-so thinks that he's going to wrestle. So-and-so thinks he's not. I mean, you're going to have all that speculation, but it's, it's like you want to have that huge platform for a guy to get reintroduced to the biggest audience you, you can possibly have. And, you know, if you knew you were going to go this way anyway, and this would be the big if, wouldn't it have been on that very first Friday night SmackDown show? That's where it would have went down. That's where you had the most eyes on it. God knows if you if you watch Fox and you watch like like I do football on Fox and all kind of different stuff, they're doing everything on the planet they can do to promote the WWE product. They got commercials on there. They got their announced team doing little gags. They got all kind of stuff. So you would have thought that would have been the place to do it. Now they might've not had a deal at that point and who knows. Another follow-up question for me. I've always been curious about this way back in 2013, CM Punk tweeted out a picture. It said, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ern Anderson. 
this is in the middle of his feud with the undertaker. Someone had put glasses, mustache, goatee, and a little bit of hair sparse around the top of the urn. And you pose next to it, Arn and Ern Anderson. This is pretty fucking funny. Whose idea was that? Well, it, it was probably his. He, it, the urn obviously had to do with, he had stolen from Parker. the undertake, the undertaker. Right. right. He just popped in a, a production meeting and I was on the last row and he just came in the door and pretty much just had the thing in his hand and everybody looked at it and figured out what it was. And, you know, he earned Anderson and everybody started laughing. He just came over and got a quick pick with me. Um, and it, it was just a spontaneous deal. He popped in a production meeting, interrupted it, got the pick and out the door he went. Hilarious. That's all it was. It wasn't planned. Good stuff. Uh, Imagine that something spontaneous. Yeah. Um, strong style psycho writes in, and this is a pretty controversial question these days. What are orange thoughts on orange Cassidy and Marco stunt? Uh, I'm I'm sure you've seen a lot of the AEW programming since I know for sure you've been at least two of the shows, Marco stunt being the smaller performer of the Jurassic express trio. Um, your old pal, Jim Cornette has been pretty critical of him having a place in wrestling. And, uh, he thinks that orange Cassidy, who he has nicknamed pockets is a disgrace to the wrestling business. You're old school. Where do you fall on this? Well, I am learning. As you can tell, I'm doing this podcast for one. Three, four years ago, if you would ask me this question, I would have said probably a different answer than I have today. <clears throat> it's not up to me to judge whether Orange Cassidy is something negative. It's up to the audience to make that judgment. Right. And when they quit reacting to him, you will know that you made a mistake. If they never quit reacting to him, then they're accepting it and they understand, okay, this is a part of the bigger picture, but it's totally separate. Um, it's a separate entity within the product and you figure out ways to integrate it in to where you don't step on the more serious talent that are doing all the right things that you have to do to draw money. Now, will this guy ever get to a position where he can help draw money? I certainly hope so, because it is different. It is new. It is fresh. It is something within the bigger product and the bigger course of the of the entire show that's totally different. Same thing with Marco. He is tiny. The guys are going to have to work with him in a way that makes sense. And as, as long as they do that, Eddie Guerrero was no monster. Had big arms. There's no monster. Uh, Rey Mysterio, not a monster. Juventud Guerrero, not a monster. Shawn Michaels, huge star in this business, as big as anybody has been, arguably, in the last 20 years. Uh, not a big monster. So he's much smaller than them. But, hey, those guys got over. And if this guy, which I think he has some talent from what I've seen so far, if he gets over, he's going to prove all the naysayers wrong. So I say give it a chance. 
you as an audience member will decide whether or not you want it, you like it, you're going to keep it, or you're going to enjoy it for a while and you're going to toss it. That's up to you. Porterhouse Garrett wants to know, what's your favorite Canadian city to visit and why? Oh, gosh. Have to be Toronto, I would guess. Credible, uh, for whatever reason, credible Chinese food. Toronto. Credible shopping. I bought my wife her, and the PETA people are going to kill me for this, and this has been a long, long time ago, but bought her her uh, fur coat. In Toronto, got a nice deal on a nice fur coat for her. Uh, uh, just a lot of things to do. If you want to bring your family, there's things to see. And it's a big, major metropolis. Um, it's a renaissance city. It's no different from New York. Uh, Bruce writes in, if you could manage any one wrestler right now, who would it be? And I'm going to make this a little more difficult. You've said before. You didn't hate the idea of managing the revival, but if it was a singles performer, who would it be? Who would I want to manage? Yes, sir. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. Let me think about that and let's come back to it. Let's do it. Ryan writes in. Was it your idea to always start the war games? And did you enjoy being in it the entire time? Actually, it was Dusty's, uh, because he wanted to start too. And he wanted me to start with him. We trusted each other. Uh, we kind of knew from, from all the single matches that we had had what we wanted to do. And, uh, I was honored that I got picked and I pretty much got picked. And after it worked the first time, then it was just pretty much my spot. And I was honored kind of like being the television champion as long and as many times as I was, I never looked at that as a burden. I looked at it as a reward and a opportunity to go out and do what I really love about this business. The part that overrides the notoriety or getting a nice table in a restaurant or being noticed the wrestling is the part that I love and there's nothing like it on earth to go out and be able to pull something off that you know was good as far as the story and the performance and the physicality and all the things that go into having a good wrestling show and uh, the wrestling is the part I love and I just got to be in the whole time and it was, it was awesome Chesler writes in, what are your memories of working with the mega man, Tom McGee and, uh, the WWF? Well, Tom was, a one of those physical specimens. It was like a Luger. The guy looked incredible. I guess he had background as a gymnast or something like that. He, he could do all the, you know, over the top to the floor stuff and that a guy his size normally didn't do, you know. He was very green. He really was just getting started, so it wasn't very far along. Um, and I think it was a test more than anything to see how it would handle not only wrestling that guy, but putting him over. In those days, you had a lot of tests. 
when you first went to work for WWF. They wanted to see if you were going to balk at, you know, doing business. And uh, I certainly was not going to do that, and I did my best to have a good match. I would say probably it was not stellar. Uh, I haven't seen it back in, God, I don't know how long. But I can only imagine it was so-so at best. Chris Long writes in, I've always wanted to know, as a fellow Southpaw, did being left-handed present any challenges, learning to work in the ring, considering the American style, is to work from the left side? Well, just the one thing that stands out to me, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Terry Funk or myself or Harley Race or, you know, and I really worked on having a good punch. And those two guys were lefties that I thought had really good punches. Uh, but it's still, there's something about a left-handed punch that just doesn't look right. It's like stomping a guy left-footed. You look at it, and you, the physicality can be great. It can be flawless. But something looks different about a lefty. And it just doesn't look as pretty or clean or however you want to put it, normal as uh, as a right hander. And it's just one. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but uh, that's the way I feel about it. Well, I know something else you think about, and that's life insurance. In fact, we've even talked about it here on the show before when we talked about your retirement. Uh, but life insurance is something that is uh, that maybe some of our listeners aren't getting a fair shake out. Here's what I mean. Look in the mirror. You look good. You're doing everything right for your health today. But if you're not planning for the what ifs of tomorrow, well, it's time you do. The problem is historically and rather ironically, the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. And it's not some sort of conspiracy. That's literally just how insurance works. Introducing health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. Maybe you're a runner or a cyclist. Maybe you're in a CrossFit or another type of athlete, even a committed weekend warrior. Perhaps you're a vegetarian or vegan. You deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can even save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risk for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And by the way, Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners, but these savings are exclusive to health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else and you must qualify to get the special rate to see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash ARN and take their proprietary health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as some other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. One more time, that's healthiq.com slash ARN and let them know we sent you. Start the process with this Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time, that's healthiq.com forward slash ARN. And Arn, I know in real life, you and I've had conversations about life insurance. If some of our listeners haven't jumped on that yet, they need to. Wouldn't you agree? Guys, there is no price you can put on security for your family after you're gone. You're talking about peace of mind. That provides peace of mind. 
healthiq.com forward slash arn. You can save up to 41%. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Um, this is an interesting question. And when we get, we get this in various different forms, um, but it's about the misconception of Arn Anderson. Lee Parker writes in, what's the biggest misconception about Arn Anderson slash Marty Lundy? Gosh, I don't know. Well, probably that, um, that somehow, um, gosh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's probably that you're, um, I think a lot of people unfairly categorize you as being old school, maybe in the way that Jim Cornette is where like Jim Cornette has his idea of professional wrestling. And I'm not saying he's wrong. He he's forgotten more about wrestling than I'll ever know. But I do think he sometimes puts wrestling in a box and thinks this is what it is. And you, I think, are maybe a little more open-minded, but some of that probably comes from some of the silly shit you had to do with WWE the last two decades. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's, I guess this is the bare facts and I respect Jim too. And Jim, you know, believes that we should protect the business. So do I, he, uh, he lived and flourished in, in the business when it was a different product. It was a different time. The guys, you know, protected the business and treated it differently and, and, you know, wrestled differently. There was things that, you know, that I see today that I, that I look at these kids and I go, God, that's dangerous. And I'm, I'm scared for them. I worry about, you know, somebody getting paralyzed or crippled right in front of me because of something that they could have easily avoided by just not doing something that risk versus reward is, is not good. Uh, but the fact is, if you're from our era and you want to continue to be a part of this business, you've got to evolve and you have to shut one eye, say a little prayer and hope everything works out for the velocity and the high impact things that are going on today. Because, you know, the reality is you have a lot more injuries today with the talent because it's a lot high, more high impact style. And, uh, if you want to be a part of it and still be involved in it, what I'm learning is you're going to have to be a little more contemporary in your thinking and understand that the business has changed and it will never go back to what it was. But you take part of the storytelling and you take part of the personality, like doing your own promos, which are, I think that is so critical that a character is able to go out do his own promo and let that be an extension of who he really is. That's one of the most important things that's missing in the business. Be who you are. Tell your story the way you would tell it. If this were all in a living room or on the street or anywhere else, that's critical. But I think, you know, for guys like Jim and I, we have a hard time seeing some stuff that goes down. If you want to be part of it, you're just going to have to uh, be a little bit more forgiving and uh, open-minded uh, and understanding. Yeah. Uh, Sean Buchanan writes in, 
did you ever get in the ring with somebody that was deceptively strong? Like when they do a certain move, you think, my God, where did that come from? Oh God. Well, I mean, you knew that Rick Steiner was, was a beast. Probably the one that humbled me more than anything is Ron Simmons. When he first started, buddy, when he whipped you in and gave you a power slam, I felt like a baby in his arms. And and you knew, I knew he was a 600-pound bench presser. I knew he was all-American football player. He was actually in line for the Heisman, and he was a friggin' lineman, which is unheard of. I mean, the guy was a monster, but until you feel it, you really don't understand he was something special and something different and just really, really strong. Carlos wants to know what was your favorite pay-per-view event to wrestle at? Like Starcane, Halloween Havoc, whatever. It would just depend on who the opponent was and what the story was. They were all important. They were all big. It was an honor to be on featured in a pay-per-view um, because you always weren't featured in them. If you were, and you had a good storyline, and it was a big match. It would just depend on what the circumstances were. They were all different. Okay, now here's a deep cut. This is a, an interesting question from Ben and Dykstra. Any funny stories of your wife meeting the boys? Now you've always tried to keep Aaron at arm's distance from the business. Probably good advice. You're still married. But, of course, she met some of the, this crazy cast of characters over the years. Any meeting in particular stand out to you as being particularly funny or interesting? Uh, well, Bobby and I lived one street apart, and, uh, you know, we were good friends. And anybody that knows Bobby, he's a little hard to understand. No offense. Might be a Huntsville thing. Not sure. Uh his conversations with any normal person were uh, humorous at best. And I was with Bobby so much on the road and traveling and and talking back and forth and all that stuff. Um, I actually could translate for Bobby Eaton, and that was my job. So he would come over to the house like, sometimes like Thanksgiving or whatever the meal would be and all that stuff. And Aaron would look at Bobby and, you know, Bobby, you know, got enough to eat, anything you want, something else you want. And Bobby would respond. And the look on her face was just blank, flat line. And she would look at me. And one time, I think she asked him how the turkey was or the ham was or something I don't know what he was thinking, but he just said, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's not good to say to the hostess at Thanksgiving dinner. Might have been, oh, good. Thank you. Something like that. But it's all right. And he said it in Bobby Eaton language. What did he say? I said, he, I didn't want to tell her, but... <laughs> He said, it's all right. And she just stormed off. Sure. So that would be one of those situations. Um, I don't know. Aaron was, Aaron has always been a trooper and, uh, you know, she's got along with, with everybody I think she's ever met. So no doubt. 
Uh, Chris writes in, what was it like working with Vince Russo in WCW? Yeah, I didn't, uh, I wasn't real hands-on with a lot of the big angles that Russo, you know, wanted to do. Uh, I wasn't one of those confidants that he had. He, he pretty much him and Ed Ferrara, you know, this is what we're doing. That's what it was. I just took instruction, um, made sure that what I had in mind fit for what he was looking at. And I just kind of fell in line in those days. It was heading towards the end and you could see it. And, um, a lot of hot shotting was, you know, was going on and some of it was really good stuff and some of it was suspect and, uh, you could just feel the tension in the locker room and, a lot of guys were getting sent home, regular players, you know, because they wouldn't didn't want to get to, you know, with the program. Problem is with that, you were just rewarding all those guys because they were getting paid huge amounts of money to go home and sit home and stay home. So, you know, I could see that it was starting to crumble, and uh, I just wanted to keep my head down and ride out the storm. Mike Dolman wants to know, what are your memories and interactions like with Andre the Giant when you worked in the WWF? Got along great with Andre. If Andre liked you, he was nothing but good to you. Uh, I sat in on a few of those uh, drinking extravaganzas at the hotel bar where he would drink 22 bottles of beer or 10 bottles of wine or whatever it was. It was something to behold. The one thing also that that I was unfortunate to see was how bad of pain he was in, how bad his back was at that particular time. And we were there, his back was really giving him fits. To try to fit in a first-class seat on a plane was misery for him. To try to get in a rental car was misery for him. Any normal bar stool or chair or booth or anything that he could, what you and I would, would deem okay, well, this is, this is fine, was like him just, you know, it was just miserable for him. And to see him suffer through that and to get on those 6 o'clock flights every morning when you knew his back was just killing him was heartbreaking. And uh, he had such a big heart. He just, he just was a good guy if he liked you. If he didn't like you, you better never come around him because he let you know. Ryan Evans writes in, I've heard that Chris Benoit's son, David wants to be a wrestler. Do you think he should given the circumstance with his dad? Do you think his last name will pose any unique challenges? Well, of course he's going to be met head on with the one challenge that matters. Um, I've never been able to wrap my head around what supposedly happened with Chris and his family. It's Chris, I knew, would not have been capable of that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, if it did happen, God Almighty, I don't, I don't even know how to address it. It's, it's so horrifying. It's so terrifying, and it's just the fact that what went down. If it did go down like that, I can't condone it. Obviously, I mean, I don't even know how to address it. Uh, but the kid didn't do it. He didn't do anything. There's nothing he's done wrong. And if he wants to be in the business, he's a whole separate person than his dad. 
He's got nothing to do with what happened in that house on that fateful night or weekend. Um, he should be given a chance if he truly wants to be in the business um, and see if he has anything, see if he has something to offer. I would suggest by now he's probably been in a ring a few times and someone hopefully will advise him properly. And uh, I wouldn't tell anybody that wanted to get in this business, just like when people would tell me, well, you can't do that. You don't know anybody. You can't get into that. There's no chance in hell you'll ever break into that business. I didn't listen to them, and I don't think he should listen to any naysayers himself. Uh, Chris Herman has a great question. What does Arn consider to be his greatest achievement as an agent? Probably the number of emails and calls and texts I got when I left WWE wow. from the ta- from the talent. People I hadn't talked to in years that didn't work there, just positive phone calls, positive texts, people letting me know what I meant to them and their career, conversations we had never had all the time, the 18 years that I worked there, let me know that, you know, there was always that question, hey, can, you know, when you've been one of the boys, can you be in the office and can you, you know, you can, you're not one of the boys anymore, you know? Well, I could never accept being told that I'm always going to be one of the boys. The fact that I'm doing a producer job, it's got nothing to do with the fact that I'm the one of the boys. And the, the reason I could do my job effectively is because the guys, the young guys knew I had been there, done that. I had a record I had a body of work that made sense and drew money, and I was part of a group that drew a lot of money, and I did a lot of things the right way as far as making the business better than how I found it, which is all of our jobs. Leave this business better than you found it. And uh, the amount of communication that I had with the talent let me know that I had done a whole lot of things right. And that made me feel good at a time that I, that I needed it. Interesting question here from Michael Eldridge. I bet you'll have some fun with this one. Would Arn rather take 25 lariats from Stan Hansen or do a one hour Ironman match with the renegade? Is that really a question? There's no, there's no comparison. Stan could knock my head off until the world ends. It would not be as painful as 15 minutes with the renegade. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Noble Burkhead wants to know, what's your opinion on blading? Do you think the lack of it, especially in cage matches takes away from the match these days? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that you hoped for and got 100% of the time and looked forward to. It was a payoff to an angle where hopefully, in its best scenario, a heel had screwed this baby face time after time after time, 
ran for his life after he did it. Finally, you're going to lock this guy in a cage, and it was payday for your superhero. And when that was the story, as simple as it was, and you paid it off, and that heel almost bled to death, as well as just trying to get out of that cage with his life, then you did exactly what you should have done for that angle and the business. And I miss it. Um, I think it has a place. We'll never go back to that. Uh, too many negatives. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Grayson Smith writes in shoot interviews. Ricky Morton has often alluded to the idea that the reason the belt was put on Ronnie Garvin was that he would not take the singles title himself because he didn't want to break up the rock and roll express. Can you confirm that a feud was ever discussed or some sort of championship run was ever discussed for Ricky Morton? I don't know. Would, would he have been able to sustain it for a while? Yeah. Ricky Morton was red hot. Rock and roll express was red hot. Uh, Ricky Morton was the guy that, that the fans hated for you to beat him up. They just hated it. And, uh, he would have been a good champion that was beatable on any given night. There was danger of him getting beat, which would have added a lot of luster to, to the title. I thought, uh, if that would have been the case, I never heard about that, but that was behind closed door meetings that I wouldn't have been privy to. We'll do a few more and then we'll wrap things up. Robert Noss writes in, has Arn watched the new NWA power studio show? And if so, what are his thoughts? Haven't gotten there yet. I will get there. I've been, uh, you know, and I, I said on uh, one week, I don't remember when it was, but I'm, and it might have been something entirely different, like a star cast uh, part of that uh, media frenzy. I'm not watching every month, every Wednesday, I'm not watching wrestling. It's just like whatever nights the other shows come on, uh, NWA and. And uh, Impact, I am watching little bits and pieces just when I have time, but I don't, I'm trying to clean the palate and uh, get just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling out of my head and relax and uh, go back to being a normal person for a little while. So I'm not every Wednesday glued in front of the TV and watching one show and taping the other and turn around watching it. I'm watching them in bits and pieces, and I haven't gotten around to that one. I will say this. They're getting nothing but positive reviews that I've read, so that's an awesome thing. And uh, Billy Corgan, we need to thank him for another option for all these young talent out there that need a place to go and get over and thrive. And uh, I personally am much appreciative of what he's done as far as helping sustain the business. I mean, you got to think, if if you're a real wrestling fan, you doing a run in on that set and cutting a promo in front of that old backdrop. I mean, that's gotta happen eventually. I'm not saying you want to go down there every week or whatever. I understand that's not necessarily your gig right now, but that would be some cool TV and will definitely be a goosebump moment. Uh, the man of the nineties writes in, did Arn ever consider shaving his head when he started to lose his hair? Mm, no. <laughs> I don't know why, but that tickled me. I have my palmetto bush that is remaining right in the middle of my head. 
It is not a comb over. It is a palmetto bush, and I'm hanging on to it as long as it's going to stay there. I think um, Tony Schiavone has referred to it when he saw it on an action figure as a flesh-colored yarmulke. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. And coming from Robert Redford, I'll <laughs> accept that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, last one before we get back to the one you needed a little more time on. This is a fun one from Mike. He says, how would Arn really rate his carpentry skills? Is he average or was Kevin Nash just talking shit? Um, no, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at, at my job and that's making guys a lot better than what they are. I think he meant like woodworking. Do I? I think he meant like actual woodworking. Oh, he did. <laughs> two by fours and shit like whittling you know woodworking oh well shit i can't i'm i've never hammered a nail i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna hire that done i love it professionals only well when we're talking about professionals you asked for a little more time earlier did you think of somebody that you would be a good fit for as a manager and if not i could freestyle some you're gonna think i'm crazy when i say that okay Cody Rhodes. That's exactly where I was going to go, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe for a different reason than you are. Why would you go Cody Rhodes? Just because of the history and the possibilities going forward of which way it could go. Yeah. Now I love and, that you leave it open-ended right there. Cause we're thinking the same thing. Endless. It has endless possibilities. Well, especially since, um, you know, it seems like Tully is going to be a, a more regular part with Tully on one side and you on the other and given their backstory, you know, with Sean and Cody and obviously all the stuff with the Andersons and the roads, a lot of meat on the bone with that one. That seems pretty fun to me. There's a, the only thing missing with Cody, the only thing missing is there is a time, no matter what your wrestling style or mentality is. There is a time for viciousness, and that's the one ingredient that he needs to learn, and I'll just leave it at that. Well, let's leave it at that for this week. We're going to be back next week with a brand new episode, this time talking about Survivor Series 1988. It's Arn Anderson's first pay-per-view for the WWF, and it went down on November 24th in Ohio. We're looking forward to talking about that huge tag team match. And I mean, huge, you've got the powers of pain, the British bulldogs, the heart foundation and demolition with the brain busters, the Bolsheviks, the fabulous Rougeaus, the conquistadors. I mean, there are so many wrestlers in this match. It's 10 on 10, not just five on five, but 10 on 10, five tag teams on either side. It's a 42 minute match. We'll talk about that match. We'll also talk about coming into the company, his early days with the WWF his first several months on the run as he got acclimated to a new locker room, a new way of doing business with Vince McMahon and the world wrestling federation. We'd love to have your questions. If you've got a question about that topic, by all means, check us out on Twitter at the Arn show. And don't forget to pick up your t-shirts. It is the absolute best way to support the show. It's arnshirts.com. That's a R N shirts.com. And uh, we've got some fabulous designs over there. I know that you've been rocking a bunch. Uh, but my new favorite one is Arn.0 
seeing if your balls are as big as your mouth since 1982. And uh, you coined a phrase when we asked the famous Batista question on one of these Q&As. There is a Ghostbusters symbol around the words pecker checking. Go check it out at orangeshirts.com. And don't forget to see Arn and I next weekend right there in Winston-Salem. Tickets are on sale now at orangeshowlive.com. But if you're not in North Carolina, maybe you're over in Kentucky, don't miss him at GalaxyCon this weekend. He'll be there Friday, Saturday, and the first part of Sunday. But just to be safe, come see him Friday or Saturday at GalaxyCon in Louisville. We'll see you next week and every week right here on Westwood 1, 6 a.m. on your ride to work. It's Arn. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.